Discasters, how are you all doing? I hope you're all having a wonderful week. Uh, I hope you're all enjoying uh, this new month. We are now into February. Wow. <laughs> it's crazy how how quickly just time flies when you're having fun, hopefully. Hopefully you're all doing well and hopefully you're all keeping safe and staying healthy. Uh, so to start off with this episode, of course, we're going to start off with some headlines. Uh, but today's episode is going to focus around the Mary Poppins sequel, Mary Poppins Returns. Uh my initial thoughts of the film you know what all in all i didn't hate it but it i definitely i don't upon this this rewatch and admittedly i haven't seen the film since i i think since i saw it in theaters actually uh but upon this rewatch i do have to say that while the film itself i think is pretty okay i definitely think it's missing something that the original had and i'll get i'll get into the details as as we go through the uh the just discussion um but first of course gonna go to through with some quick disney headlines here uh let's see uh so uh in walt disney studios uh park in paris uh the production courtyard stage uh is going to be demolished to make way for the avengers campus that's going to be at that location uh, because of course Avengers Campus is supposed to be not just at Disneyland in California but I, I believe it's also supposed to be in uh, California in Paris and then I think in Florida so I, th- I think it's supposed to be like a three-point thing uh, and they're all meant to kind of be interconnected kind of thing and they're all going to be different they're not all going to be the exact same either which I think is a smart choice personally uh, it keeps things a lot more interesting I think uh, this quick little headline here that I found that just kind of bugs me is that apparently there was an Instagram influencer who, uh, was checking out the, uh, Disney, Ca- the Magic Kingdom cavalcade in Disney World, and this person just decided to sit on another guest's feet just to get the best spot, and that really annoys me. Because I don't care who you are. I don't care how many followers you have. Sure, you may have 20,000 followers. I don't give a shit. Don't you sit on my fucking feet. I will kick you. I will kick you over. That is my spot. Uh, That is where I'm supposed to sit. And you can sit next to me, if you'd like. Don't sit on my feet. Ugh, just so annoying. Like... Sometimes people just feel so entitled because they have these imaginary numbers that are attached to them and they feel like they can just get away with shit. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't think so. So like the, the story goes like this. So the movement, so blah, oh, hold on, where to start? Um, yeah, so the woman moved her feet away and the influencer claimed the spot. The report does not name the so-called influencer, even though I think they should absolutely be put on blast. Uh, the incident happened October 2nd during what was likely a busy time on the Saturday afternoon right after the official Disney World 50th anniversary announcement. Uh, as the mini parade was coming, Disney cast members asked twice twice asked the influencer to move her feet from the street because obviously like, cause there, there's the line, right? There's like a barrier where you cannot cross over because that's part of the parade route, right? Just for your safety, right? But I guess this person was just like, nah, fuck that. Finally, the woman, the who, the one whose feet the influencer had sat on, told the influencer Disney wanted her to move. I heard them. Who do you think you're yelling at? The influencer said, standing up. I was just saying, uh, I was just saying, I was out of the way so you could move. The woman whose name was redacted responded. 
the influencer tapped the woman's sunglasses and then bragged she had 20,000 Instagram followers. Like, don't know. Oh, that would make me so mad. Oh, you sit on my feet. You tap on my sunglasses. I'm a deck you. I don't give a shit. Like, fuck off. That's, oh. Disney manager arrived and again asked the influencer and others to get out of the way in the incoming parade. The manager sided with the woman, obviously, telling the influencer the woman and her family were there first. The influencer yelled, so what? So that's what this is about? Uh, yeah, they got there first. That's their spot. Literally, the parade is first come, first serve. So, fuck off. This person got away so, like, got away easy because the woman who was, I mean, for lack of a better phrase, the victim. It's not really, like, an actual victim. You know what I mean? Like, the person who had their feet sat on and was annoyed, the, like, didn't, uh want to prosecute didn't want to press charges and admittedly like yeah like i mean like what charges would they put them on i mean annoyance because like why not anyway but the fact is that the influencer eventually got just left and yeah but i oh fuck <laughs> tear that person a new asshole i don't give a fuck who you are i give zero fucks anyway uh this is probably one of my favorite headlines right now <laughs> it just makes me very happy uh, apparently, so there's going to be a uh, an annual shareholder meeting on March 9th, and apparently the Disney shareholders are planning to vote against Bob Chapek's re-election. So he might actually just get kicked out of the board of directors come this uh, come this <laughs> come this meeting, which sounds great to me. And I think it's like uh, like uh, like people on Reddit are just not happy with Chapek. It's like. Uh, someone wrote in the thread, unhappy with the current state of Disney parks. If you are a Disney shareholder, you likely received an email yesterday asking you to vote in the annual meeting. Bob Chapek is up for re-election to the board of directors. This is the most direct way to let Disney know if you are unhappy with the, with his leadership, at least more so than complaining on Reddit or signing an online petition. Of course, uh, 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 calling back to the petition that the Imagineers uh, formed. Which I still think is a completely valid thing. Like, if you have the imagine, like the Imagineers are, have been some of the biggest staples in the Disney Park history. Like, Walt started that whole thing with Wed. Like, they've been there since the beginning. Obviously, not some of the individual Imagineers, but just the Imagineers as a as a body, as as people, have been there since the beginning. They are the reason we have some of the brilliant things that we have in in the parks. I have more respect for the Imagineers than I ever will for Chapek and for and even for some of these other like higher ups in the company because they don't they don't understand. Anyway, uh, it may seem insignificant and will likely not be successful to in removing him directly. But recall that Michael Eisner lost forty three percent of the vote in two thousand four after Roy after Roy E Disney led a campaign to oust him and he was removed shortly thereafter. We can do this again, and yeah. Because, like, Michael Eisner admittedly didn't exactly go... That didn't go very well either. Uh, it's just, like... That's that's a call from the people of Reddit. Right? And I just think it's hilarious. Because, like, Disney shareholders are even themselves, I think, recognizing that things are different. And... Things are not the way that they used to be. The magic is gone. Uh, I think is like an actual quote from one of these guys. Like, 
in order to solve this problem, you need to get to where the problem is. And it's so clearly with Chapek. It's like one angry shareholder who recently visited Disney World's Epcot vented over long lines and the fact that they now have to pay for access to FastPass. Yes, a program that allows customers to make reservations for rides without having to stand in line. Which, of course, as we all, as most of us remember, was a free thing because that's just convenience. You don't always have to pay for convenience. The guy said, or the uh, I, I believe the shareholder says, the magic is gone. Parks were oversold. Two hour plus waits for everything. Major rides like Ratatouille and Rise of the, of the Resistance down all day. Plus charging now for FastPass access. Charging for parking at Disney Resorts, the user wrote. No parades. Food prices out of control. Seriously, how many millions does one CEO need? We've been to Disney Annual for at least for the last 12 years, and what's going on there now is heartbreaking. So people are noticing this. This isn't like it's something uh, – <laughs> somebody just straight up said, fuck Bob, Ch- fuck Bob Paycheck, which you know what? I dig. I love that. But, like, s- people are noticing this. This isn't just something that is kind of out in the ether and just people are mad at, like, the, the – the Disney parks, big wigs, you know, cause of course like these people are, they're capitalists at their hearts, right? Like, like in their cores. And it, this isn't something where it's like, Oh, we just don't like the capitalist mindset. This is like, no, 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 no. This is a guy who's actively sh- shitting on the legacy of what Disneyland and Disney world and, and the parks should be. This isn't how it's supposed to be anymore. And it's like, uh, it's, it's maddening. I've, uh, quote, I've become le- much less trustful of this company's leadership. I voted against Paycheck, and for all the shareholder topics, the board doesn't want you to vote for, another said, explaining that hiking prices and penny-pinching juices Disney's financials, which benefits man- management, not customers. Because, again, the thing that Disney, that the Disney parks are most known for is how well they treat their customers, is that amazing customer service and i will 1000 percent give that to the cast members they go above and beyond as much as they can every single time they are amazing people and i'm and it makes me sad to know that they're probably getting a lot of like they're probably getting shit on a lot which is not their fault like they can't control anything they're just there they're just there working none of this goes to them right so just remember to you know Respect them. Respect your uh, the cast members because they're 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 suffering just as much, if not probably more, than we are. They probably haven't seen a pay raise in a while, even though this place is apparently getting a fuck ton of money. But like, <sighs> I don't know, man. It's like it's just not great. Anyway, speaking of like <laughs> shit going wrong, uh, some more some Disney delays uh, have or or are occurring. One of which, of course, cannot be controlled, which is the fact that uh, the uh, the Disney Wish, which ha- which has been slated to make its maiden voyage on June 9th, uh, will unfortunately be pushed until probably around mid-July because uh, the ship is just not going to be ready. Uh, the ship is just not going to be completed in terms of construction uh, because apparently um, the pandemic and especially the Omicron variant in Germany uh, really hit it like Germ- Germany is where the ship is being built and so it's like uh, yeah just the whole situation is just not great it's really fucking up with production and with construction and everything so yeah so they're moving things uh, which you know what is it's not their fault right you can't blame them 
right? You can't blame them for what they're doing. So they're just, so they're just shifting things. Uh, Disney has rebooked passengers on the original maiden voyage to the new maiden voyage on July 14th. If they are unable to move to the new sale date, they will have the option of either a 50% discount on a future cruise starting December 20th. <laughs> Sorry. They will have the option of either a 50% discount on a future cruise departing by December 31st, 2023, with any originally paid funds converted to a future cruise credit or a full refund. So basically, if you still desire to go on a cruise, you get a 50% discount in the future uh, with originally paid funds converted to future cruise credit. Uh, So I guess that means like 50%... You pay for the future, and then like the other fifty percent goes towards a credit. I guess I don't know. The the wording is a little weird, but I'm sure they'll they'll figure that out. Or if you're just like, yeah, you know what, fuck it, then they'll just give you a full refund. Which you know what, I'm I'm happy with. Like at least they're conscious of it, and they're like, look, shit's going down. We got to do something. So I, I I respect that. Now, of course, Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser may have a bigger problem. Jesus, this thing again. Like this whole project is just not going well. <laughs> A family of four can expect to pay nearly six grand for two nights on board of Disney's Galactic Star Cruiser in a standard in a standard cabin, six thousand dollars. Now, I don't know, man. Like six grand for two nights—that's three days. Well, I mean, like you—I think it, I think the the layout was like you arrive on like half on like noon of the first day. You get to the thing, you spend the night, then you get the full day, and I think that's the day where they take you to Batu, and then spend the night, and then you have the other half a day, and you got to check out. So it's like you're only there for really two nights, two days, for six grand, and you have, uh, you're basically stuck in the hotel. You can't go anywhere except for the one, the one day where they take you to Batu. I don't know. Meanwhile, a couple without children can expect to pay forty-eight oh nine for the one-of-a-kind choose-your-own-adventure in a galaxy not so far, far away, uh, says Travel and Leisure. Now, these prices may vary depending on the time of year, uh, but when the reservations were first put on sale, of course, the Star Wars fans were like, oh, this is going to be great. Like, this is at the, at the very, very beginning, when, when the, the initial announcements were coming out. So, obviously, Star Wars fans were super excited about it, like you know, a chance to be fully immersed in that universe, like in, you know, in the galaxy far away is admittedly quite enticing. However, (laughs) Disney hasn't exactly been doing a very good job of like the advertising because like the promo video was shit and these prices are admittedly extremely high. And like, I get it. You're trying to pay for the actors who are basically going to be working all fucking day um and not and and multiple sets of actors because you know some actors need to go have shifts some have to go on break you know because you can't just be in character in this immerse in this immersive experience the entire time you can't it's not possible you'll get exhausted so you got to pay for multiple actors you got to and then you got to reimburse for all of the construction and then all the other stuff that's like there you know uh, and all the experiences and everything but even then, like, some of the experiences I feel like are kind of, I don't know, like, the fact that you won't be able to get the really, really awesome extending lightsaber really bugged me. Because, like, they advertise for it. Like, there, there's that video of Ray with the lightsaber, and then she presses the button, and then the thing extends. And it's like, you've, you've built a functioning lightsaber 
but you're not selling it. And I'm like, that's a lost opportunity. Like, come on, guys. Come on. The Imagineers worked really hard on those. Um, but all this is, like, leading to more and more cancellations. Like, it's, I don't know. Just fans are just not as excited. And, appara- and again, like, uh, reports from the staff themselves are like, yeah, like, this shit's not great. Like, budget cuts and stuff like that. Which, again, is a fucking bonkers thing to think about when, you know, P- JPEG is leeching money off of everyone left, right, and center. You would think that some of the money would go towards it, but no. It's all just going right into his pocket so he can go fuck himself. Uh, anyway, <laughs> you can tell I'm bitter about it, right? Um, there's a whole new series of bags uh, being released in, uh, I don't know if it's exclusively in Disney World, but um, just a series of uh, this new collection from Dooney and Bork, <laughs> Bork, uh, called the Disney Steeds, which I think is really nice. Uh, so we've we've had different um, highlights, of course, in the past, you know, di- uh, some of the Disney cats, Disney dogs, and now we are looking at the horses of Disney, which I think is, which I think is fun. So uh, they're these really nice, like, kind of almost leather-looking bags. They're actually very, very nice. They're pretty expensive. They're like $300 a bag, but, you know, designer bags. Uh, and they're white with, like, some, like, trees and flowers kind of, like, distantly, like, kind of in the background. But, of course, the highlight are the horses that are here. Uh, and you've got quite a few in here. You've got uh, Pegasus from Hercules, Maximus from Tangled, Philippe from Beauty and the Beast, Angus from Brave, Major from Cinderella. I don't recall that horse being named Major, but okay. Samson from Sleeping Beauty. That I do remember, yes. Achilles from <laughs> Hunchback of Notre Dame. Khan from Mulan. Khan, really? I don't remember that name either. Anyway, this one I definitely don't remember. Aster from Snow White and the Seven Dwarves? I did not know that. Emir, Prince Ahmed's horse. Uh, like the, in, from Aladdin. Uh, oh, Amir and and Nazir from Aladdin, uh, Prince Ahmed's and Jafar's, respectively. Uh, I did not know both those horses had names, but apparently they do. So there you go. Uh, yeah, I think it's just kind of cool. I think it's nice that you know they're finding new things to highlight, right? Because these, because these, cause a lot of these horses, a lot of these characters, uh, are especially in like the original films are almost characters in and of themselves. I mean, like, look, thinking back, like, like all the way from, like, um, Sleeping Beauty, like, Samson had a whole personality and everything. Like, he and, uh, and, uh, oh, God, I forget his name now. The prince from Sleeping, Aurora's prince. Um, it's not Eric. Eric is from, Eric's from Little Mermaid. Anyway. The point is, is that I like that they're doing this. I like it's a good, it's it's a smart thing. It's a fun thing. I think it's great. Do I think the the bags are overpriced? Absolutely. But in general, I just don't. I I'm also just not a designer person. Um, I can see that if somebody likes designer stuff, like likes designer things, and can afford it, I can absolutely see why they would want to do it. Um, like, uh, there's one tote that's $300. There's a satchel, uh, that is like also $300. There's a crossbody bag that's $250, you know, like the, and they're nice looking bags and I'm sure they're very high quality, but again, like I'm not going to spend fucking that much money on a bag with horses on it. But again, that's just cause I'm not designer anyway. 
there was a small next uh, little thing here. Uh, God, this is a lot of stuff happening. Man. <laughs> uh, so there was an, uh, an instance in which there was an evacuation on uh, Space Mountain recently. And after some investigation, uh, fortunately, it was a super, super, like, chill event because it turns out what caused it was just a refrigerator in the break room that was just smoking. So nobody was hurt. Everyone was fine. And the ride was able to go back into – was able to function or was able to get going again pretty quickly. So that's good. Just good to know that nobody was hurt. Um Apparently, uh, some people on the People Mover, uh, a couple were getting real frisky, and so they had to stop the People Mover, which is hilarious to me. Because, you know what? <laughs> Why not? I guess. Fuck, that's just so funny to me. Uh, anyway, I just think that's funny. Uh, some new Star Wars pins have been released. Uh, Bo-Katan and Sabine, uh, you know, both awesome characters. Bo-Katan, we're probably going to see a lot more of her a lot more of her come the next season of the mandalorian and who knows maybe sabine will show up i don't know any hoozles but that's about it really that's about it for disney oh uh one last little bit that i just think is really cool uh, air canada is, is featuring a new plane uh that is themed after the new film uh turning red uh that is because the, the film is takes place in Toronto, which I think is really cool. Uh, and so Air Canada has like a, uh, I think it's one of their smaller jets, it looks like, uh, that just has a bunch of pictures of uh, the character as a red panda on it. So I just think that's really cool. I just think that's nice. Because, of course, you know, it's just nice that more stuff is, you know, actually based in Canada. I don't know. I'm biased on that, but that's nice to know. Okay, so... On to the main event. My God, that was 20 minutes of random headlines. That's that's good. That's good, though. I hope you enjoyed my little ramblings. <laughs> uh, so now on to the main event. Now we are discussing, of course, Mary Poppins Returns. So Mary Poppins Returns uh, takes place, I believe, something like 25 years after the original. Uh, I think that's about right, because it's supposed to take place during the Great Depression. Uh, and the original took place in 1910, so 25 years. Yeah, looking at 1935. So that sounds that seems about right. Uh, so yeah, so Mary Poppins Returns is basically just just that, like Mary Poppins Returns to the Banks family. Now, this film t- uh, centers itself around the fact that um, the Banks family is not doing so great financially. Um, Michael is grown. He has three kids. Uh, he had a wife who who passed away within the year. Uh, so he's a widower. And then his sister, Jane, is off living on her own, but followed in her mom's footsteps and is looking for and is in terms of obviously not a suffragette because, of course, the suffragette movement is over, uh, but instead is helping to rally like the laborers like uh and that sort of thing so working with uh not the labor party but uh i guess it's supposed to be something along the lines of like a um oh what is it what are they called? a lobbyist i suppose uh in in favor of helping those who do you know uh like they connect they connect it to like the lamplighters in uh in this film 
that we will see one of the main characters is. Uh, so the family is, you know, they're not great. They're still living in the same house, uh, number 17, Cherry Lane. But unfortunately, uh, because of the because of the depression and everything, uh, Michael, who actually works at the bank as a bank teller, but still uh, had to take out a loan in order to help pay for the house. Um, and unfortunately, Michael has uh, is three months behind on the payments. And so the film, well, the film basically starts with uh, with everyone like at home and we see these lawyers come and knock on the door and come in and tell Michael that basically he's he's been told that he has like a week in order to pay back the whole like the full loan otherwise the otherwise the house will be repossessed and so the now they're kind of going on a mad scramble to try and figure out what they can do about it so they know that they can't they can't solve the problem with money because they just don't really have a lot of money uh because the uh michael's late wife was a lot better with the finances so uh which is what he says and uh so instead they he and jane kind of figure out that oh uh when he was a child his father took uh, or made an account and put a bunch of money into sh- into shares in the bank, you know, uh, you know, flashing back to, of course, the uh, the tuppence that uh, George Banks gave uh, Mr. Dawes. Uh, so it's kind of nice that like that that little bit of the story kind of like carried over, and we see like an actual like, oh, this that that little thing actually has a consequence. Isn't the right word, but it like has a result. Right. So I like that they were able to kind of connect those and like build the story around or not necessarily build the story around it, but at the very least have it be a piece of the story. You know, I wouldn't necessarily say it was a loophole from the first film, um, but it was definitely something that was like, oh, this is a thing that was there and it's something that we can use to help to help build the story. So I, li- I like that. Anyway, uh, now the, the, the thing is, is that the, the children that they that they have, you can very much tell are very different to the way that George and Michael were when they were kids. Uh, because, of course, when George and Michael, when they were, not George and Michael, sorry, Michael and Jane. When Michael and Jane were kids, they were kids. They were, you know, they ran around and, you know, did their thing. Um, but the children that Michael has, um, especially Annabelle and John, uh, they're definitely older than they should be. They're supposed to be 11 and 9, respectively. And then George, the third, the third kid, is supposed to be 6. He's the one that's probably the most like a child in that he likes to still, you know, play around and stuff like that. Whereas the other two seem to be a little too responsible, but I think that's just because they they're, they grew up in a time when I suppose, like, they're the whole family needed to pitch in and needed to be a little bit more mature, or at least needed to mature a little more quickly. And this is probably something that actually occurred probably around the time of, you know, the Great Depression, you know, when people were like, no, no, okay, so we don't really have the luxury of being able to just do whatever we want, but we need to be able to be serious and buckle down and, you know, survive kind of thing, right? So, and so we see examples of this a lot. And so um, Annabelle and John 
uh, are definitely throughout the film, or at least a little bit in the beginning of the film, because of course their characters change throughout the film after meeting Mary Poppins. Uh, they're definitely a lot more serious, uh, but it's nice to know that at the very least, you know, they don't fully lose their sense of childhood, I suppose, uh, which I think is really nice. Um, anyway, and so basically, uh, oh, I should say that this movie starts with our friend Lin-Manuel Miranda. Man, that guy is making that Disney money like crazy. <laughs> good for him, though. I'm, I, he's, he's doing a damn good job. But he is going to be our replacement for for uh, for Bert because, of course, uh, Dick Van Dyke is now very old, <laughs> can't exactly play Bert anymore. But he's kind of a replacement for Bert. Um, he is a Cockney lamplighter uh, named Jack. He's apparently a former apprentice of Bert, uh, and so we start the film with like with him kind of going around and doing his job of lighting the lamps and stuff like that. And he's singing a song uh, about London and that sort of thing. So we get a little bit of introduction of him kind of cycling around the streets of London and sort of thing until we get to the Banks family. And then, then we see uh, how, how they're faring. Now, uh, after a while, after basically being told that he has like a week to make like however much money, which is a ridiculous amount of money because there's no way that he can do it. Um, he lets the kids go. Uh, they need to go grocery shopping because they don't have food. Uh, and so he sets, gives the kids some money, goes and they tell, he tells them to be, or Michael tells them to go grocery shopping. And then he and his sister go upstairs into the attic to try and find this certificate uh, that tells them that they have valid shares in the bank, right? Because they need proof of that, right? Uh, because bureaucracy and it's in this it's in the attic we get actually a very touching moment of michael kind of like singing about his wife and rec and recollect recollecting her and it's actually it it's a pretty touching moment i think it's very sweet it's very well done it's very well sung it's very well uh directed you know you get a real emotion of it and we see that uh michael was an artist at some point and he ended up uh like tossing it away or not tossing it away but like kind of forgetting about it after his uh after his wife passed uh because he needed to you know focus more on the family and on survival of the family right so that kind of thing really uh, was very touching to kind of see how he really misses her and you know you get a lot of emotion and a lot of uh good um, emotional background in this moment uh yeah, and uh, Jane is, of course, up there helping. Of course, we cut to the kids, and they're going through the park. Uh, George, Georgie finds a kite, wants to fly it. Uh, and as that's, going, as that's happening, uh, the wind picks up. Georgie almost flies away. The other, his siblings try and hold him down, and uh, Jack sees it, tries to help as well. The kite disappears into the clouds, and then, oh, down comes Mary Poppins herself as she descends from the sky with the kite in her hand instead of an umbrella, which I think is kind of fun. It arrives, takes the, sees the kids, immediately knows who they are, obviously. Uh, sees Jack, knows who he is, obviously, and basically is like, oh, hello, Jack, how are you? And he's like, wonderful to see you, Mary Poppins, blah, blah, blah. She's like, "Where? how's Bert? Apparently Bert is off traveling the world because why the hell not? 
<laughs> I don't know how he was able to make that money, but apparently that's what he's doing now. <laughs> uh, and so she takes the kids back to the bank's home. And then when they arrive, the kids are like, like, look, we caught a nanny on a kite. And the kid and, <laughs> and Michael and Jane are like, what the hell are you talking about? So they come downstairs and they see right there in front of them, Mary Poppins. And they're like, what the hell? Like, it's you. And they're like, what are you? What? what? And my, Michael makes a comment. It's like, you have, you haven't aged a day. And Mary Poppins is like, really, Michael? And just like so offended. But it's just very funny. Like, because it's clear, like, she hasn't forgotten who they were either. And it's very, it's just very, very good. It's a very wonderful, like, kind of reintroduction. Because, like, Jane and Michael cannot, they cannot believe the fact that she's there again. And then they're, like, trying to recollect, they're trying to remember, like, remember all the fun things that we thought used to happen, you know, with, like, the, with our imaginations and stuff. And it's great because as they're having that discussion, being like, there's no way any of that happened. Mary Poppins is, like, sliding up the the railing like she did before it's very good it's wonderful um anyway so they ask like what are you doing here and she's like well i'm here to take care of the bank's children super vague uh and then uh, i think uh, i think annabelle is just like who us and she's like oh yes you too it's just very funny because it's clear that she's there for jane and michael more than she's there for the the three younger kids you know kind of like how in the original Mary Poppins was there more for George Banks as opposed to Jane and Michael. I just think it's it is just a fun sort of little parallel there. I think that was very fun. Anyway, and so they basically are like uh, they agreed to have her in their employee again. Mary Poppins is basically back in the house, and so that's all nice and done. And so Mary Poppins' in first line of business is of course dismissing all the crazy things that they're accusing her of being magical and blah 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 and they make them and she makes them take a bath and then this is where we get our first little bit of well not maybe the first little bit of magic but like the first bit of like true magical scenery uh in the uh in the bath they go into the bath and they go into like a whole other world and stuff and it's it's fun it's a fun moment it's a fun sequence uh it is partly animated, of course. Um, it's called uh, the song is called "Can You Imagine That," which is just basically like, oh, like all these ridiculous imaginary things. Can you imagine if all of that were to occur, kind of thing, you know, uh, that kind of idea. And it's very fun. Anyway, uh, so the kids come out of the sh- come out of the bath, and of course they're all excited, and they try and tell their dad, but their dad dismisses everything because he's got too much on his mind. You know, the fact that he might lose the home, because that's kind of serious. <laughs> um, anyway, and so, but of course he apologizes to them after kind of snapping, because he's like, look, I've just, there's a lot happening. Your mom dealt with a lot of this. I miss her terribly and everything. And so they, the kids are actually very empathetic towards him and the, his whole situation, which is kind of nice. It's nice that the kids are there kind of like willing to help and willing to at least do what they can and so the the next bit is uh michael goes to the bank uh to see if the head of the bank has a copy of uh like has like a hard copy or something of the proof of the records of the shares uh but of course this guy uh wilkins uh who's played by 
uh, Colin Firth. His name is William Weatherall Wilkins. Uh, he is Mr. Dawes's junior, Mr. Dawes Jr.'s nephew, uh, and he's. I mean, you can kind of tell that he's the bad guy. I mean, like they don't really hide it because as soon as, as soon as Michael leaves, uh, after being reassured, air, big air quotes here, reassured that they'll find the they'll find the thing or whatever. Wilkins is like turns to another page, tears it out, throws it into the fire. We pan to the fire, and we of course see that it is in fact proof of Michael Banks's shares. So it's clear that this this banker is not a good guy. None of us are surprised because duh. <laughs> and I don't think they try. They're they're not trying to hide the villain in this film, which I think is the interesting thing, right? They're the big thing so here's here's kind of my big gripe with this film is that it feels like the stuff that's happening with Michael and Jane and the house and the shares and all of that all of that feels more like a B plot than the stuff that Mary Poppins does all of that feels like it's the main A plot and the thing is is that with the original it felt like the stuff that happened with George Banks felt more a plot than the stuff with Mary Poppins, which is weird to say because like there's, I think there's more time spent with Mary Poppins and the kids and their adventures, but it didn't feel like the, it didn't feel like the, the stuff with George Banks was ignored as much. It just feels like with this movie, with Mary Poppins returns, it feels like everything, all the stakes that happened with, uh, with Michael, just didn't and it's it's not that it didn't feel important or significant or they didn't feel like big high stakes i think it's just that it felt like the movie's focus definitely didn't give it enough screen time or it didn't give it enough uh of an urgency i feel like maybe because like for example and i'm going to be jumping around here uh but in, there's a, there's a moment in the film where after they see uh, Mary Poppins cousin, who's played by, um, who's played by, uh, oh, her name is, her name is Topsy. And she's played by Meryl Streep. Uh, Cause they go to try and fix the bowl that gets broken. We'll talk about that in a minute, but they go and see her. And then after they see her, they leave and they, they walk home, but they take a different route. And this route ends up being, you know, around kind of like a little spooky, foggy area. And then they meet a bunch. They meet Jack and a bunch of the other lamplighters. They have another musical number, and uh, which is supposed to be reminiscent of uh, of Step in Time. Obviously, it's very, very obvious that it's trying to be like another Step in Time. Um, but the idea is that the the lamplighters light all these lamps in order to guide them back to guide them back home. Now. That moment to me is is very parallel to after Jane and Michael flee the bank in the original after causing the run on the bank, and then they're all by themselves and they're all scared and they bump into Bert, right? And Bert guides them home. The thing with that moment is that Bert still talks about their father and still brings up the fact that their father is, you know, not happy clearly and he's kind of in his own prison and blah 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 but it still brings the focus back to george banks whereas in this moment whereas in the new one it, it doesn't do that at all it doesn't make any mention of michael 
it's just basically the kids are just now lost and they're and they're kind of scared with uh, being there with Mary Poppins and everything. So I really think that they kind of missed the missed the moment where they could have done something there, but I don't know. I think it's more this movie was definitely more concerned with making the focus Mary with making Mary Poppins the focus as opposed to uh, Michael, which I think was probably to its detriment. Anyway, uh, back to what I was saying. So, uh, so now after that, and after Michael uh, goes home, the kids are kind of plotting to see what they can do in order to help, you know, and so they kind of figure out that maybe they can take their mother's bowl, which is a very fancy China bowl, and they can sell it because they've been, they've, they've heard all their life that this bowl is priceless. And so they're like, well, maybe it's worth a lot of money. Maybe we can do this to pay off the debt. Uh, so they all kind of fight over the bowl. The bowl cracks. Mary Poppins takes it and is like, all right, who broke the bowl? And they're all kind of like fighting against each other. And they're like, you know what? Forget it. Because uh, in uh, the bowl has a bunch of imagery on it. And, and one of the images, uh, a cart's wheel is broken. So they're like, well, now we got to fix that wheel. And so the basically a bunch of magic happens. Jack is there too because he's doing a bunch of lamp lighting or whatever. He joins in the fun and they end up in the bowl uh, because magic again. Now, this moment is obviously supposed to be reminiscent of when they go into the chalk painting because that's their the colors are vibrant. They're all wearing these beautiful, like these beautifully vibrant costumes and everything. Uh, and they go and they help this guy who's who's a talking dog uh, and a talking horse and they help them fix the cart. And then they go and they go along uh, and they end up at what is known as the Royal Dalton Music Hall, which is supposed to be this big fancy thing uh, to go see a show. And uh, in the show, that's where we get uh, another couple music numbers. Some some really good ones, actually, I think. They're very fun. Uh, Mary Poppins obviously gets kind of talked into performing. She does a great job. It's great. And then Jack does his own little rap because, of course, it's Lin-Manuel. And you have Lin-Manuel. You've got to make him rap. I don't know. Maybe he has, like, a contract where he's got to rap everywhere. I don't know. <laughs> but the musical numbers in this moment are actually very fun. I actually really enjoy them. And the the colors and the animation is all very beautiful. It's uh, Visually, you can tell that it's very reminiscent of the original. Like, it, they definitely tried to keep a lot of the aesthetic of that animation style, uh, which I think um, uh, which uh, I think definitely served it well, at least, I think. And then, of course, we get a moment where, oh, no, there's some bad people there because apparently there's, like, a wolf and a weasel and a badger who are trying to escape the bull. This was definitely a red herring. Like, there's a moment where the wolf, who's voiced by Colin Firth, is, like, swinging his pocket watch in the same way that uh, that Colin Firth's character, the banker, like, the head, the head of the bank or whatever, would do as well. And so I think that was kind of their way of, like, making the kids realize that he's the bad guy because they're doing that. Because they're doing this parallel where in, in the bowl, the wolf uh, is a bad guy. And then, you know, and then they notice that uh, the banker is doing similar things. And so they're like, oh, so he must be a bad guy, too. I mean, it's, it's very, very grasping at straws. And this whole moment where, like, these characters are, like, trying to escape the bull, and so they kidnap Georgie, and so the other kids have to go and chase after them. This whole moment is really, I don't know, it's definitely not my favorite, just because it feels so out of the blue, and it feels very unnecessary, and just kind of sits there as its own thing. 
I don't know. It's really weird. Anyway, and so they the kids are going along. They end up saving Georgie, and then they fall. They fall. Uh, I think they like collapse over something or whatever. But then they end up back in their own beds, and they're like, "Oh my god!" Like, well, it was a crazy dream. Mary Poppins is like, "You all just had a crazy dream." I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Uh, and of course, they see that the in the cart on the bowl, they see that the cart is actually fixed using the scarf that Mary Poppins had. Uh, and so they're like, "Oh, so it must not have been a dream. So it was real." Blah blah blah. Um, but anyway, and so then they decide to take the bowl to Mary Poppins' cousin Topsy, who can, who's like a mender of things, I guess. So they go, they go and see her. Um, and then they have this whole sequence called Turning Turtle, where basically, like, uh, Topsy's whole, like, room, house, store, thing, like, literally flips over. Uh, every apparently every second Wednesday, so kind of reminiscent to the whole every uh, Mary Poppins needs every second Tuesday off. Um, and so they go and they kind of tell Topsy, "Hey, you have to look at things in a different perspective. You know, if things go if things go Topsy, you got to go Topsy." It's it's a whole thing of basically saying, you know, like when things don't always go when things go unexpected you got to make you got to make sure you go with the flow and you figure out how to make it work and to make it work kind of thing the message works the whole sequence is kind of interesting and fun um and it's kind of cool just to see everybody like literally flip over and like sing upside down and stuff but unfortunately they find out that the bowl itself while it can be mended is not particularly special in terms of uh it's not worth a lot and so they're like, okay, well, you know, not much we can do about that. Anyway, uh, so from here, then they go back, they go to the bank uh, to go and see Michael. Because uh, they take Michael's briefcase to him at the bank because apparently he forgot it. Uh, and then that's where they overhear that Wilkins is planning to repossess their home no matter what. He's like, no, I'm going to repossess this home. Uh and so Georgie interrupts the meeting because he sees the parallel of Wilkins wait, swinging the watch the same way that the wolf did. And so he clicks in his head that he's got to be evil, um, that kind of thing. And so, yeah, and so he interrupts the meeting. Uh, and then Michael is there and he kind of gets uh, not scolded, but he's he's told that the kids are there and that, like, you, you know, or basically Wilkins almost threatens them to be like, you wouldn't want, you know, your father to lose his job kind of thing, right? You know what I mean? Very, very bad guy stuff. So Michael is quite grumpy. Uh, and so Mary Poppins takes the children home. And this is where we get the moment where they're in the, they're in the fog and they get lost and they meet all the other lamplighters. And then that's where we get Triple Little Light Fantastic, uh, which, again is it's a fun sequence um it's definitely supposed to be their version of step in time uh there's bmx bikes because i guess sure <laughs> bmx bikes those are popular right <laughs> i don't know anyway so then they head back home uh, and of course they comfort michael and they tell and uh you know, they say basically, or they kind of come to the the realization. You're like, you know what, this this is just a house, and home truly is 
with your family no matter where you go kind of thing you know that so they re- they reconcile they come to terms with the fact that they're going to be leaving and everything's going to be fine so the next day they pack up the truck and they're ready to move and then uh, georgie forgets his kite inside and so he goes and gets the kite and then he see and then uh, michael sees that the kite has been mended because george uh georgie uh mended it with a piece of paper that had a drawing on it of the whole family uh, and so Michael takes the kite and is holding it up to Elaine. He's like, look, see, it's all of us. And then he notices that on the other side, on the back of it, says shares. And so he looks at it and he's like, holy shit, they're all here. And so because Michael had taken the, the, the drawing, cut it up and patched up the kite. And so they're like, oh, we're literally holding the shares, the share certificate. And so then they make a rush to the bank. Uh, Jane and Michael head there, I think, in like in the moving truck, I believe, uh, in order to make it before midnight. And then Mary Poppins, the kids, and Jack all go and they try it. And they're like, well, what can we do? It's not. The, it's like 10 minutes to midnight. We only have until the last stroke of midnight before, you know, all of this is over because Wilkins had it promised. He had said, I give you my word. I will be here till the stroke, last stroke of midnight uh, for you to present the share certificate. And so they're, they're saying to Mary Poppins, like, if only we could turn back time. And they're like, oh, hey, what if we turned back time? And it's like this ridiculous. I mean, like, it's a ridiculous idea. And they're like, yes, of course, it's absolutely ridiculous. It can never be done. Anyway, and so they decide to go to Big Ben. They go to the fucking clock. And... Them and a bunch of other Learys, or the Lamplighters, all try and do something truly ridiculous. They try to literally turn back time by making it so that Big Ben is... Or they try and turn the minute clock like five minutes behind or something. But they're doing something with Big Ben itself. And it's funny because throughout the film... There are moments in which you still have the Admiral. You still have Admiral Boone. He's still doing the, the whole, like, everything on the hour, on the hour, every hour kind of thing, right? He's still doing shooting his cannon or whatever. But apparently, he is running five minutes behind Big Ben. Or as he said, or as he claims, Big Ben has been doing it wrong all this time. Anyway, and so with, the, like, it's crazy. The Learys basically take all their ladders and they cl- they scale up the side of Big Ben and uh jack goes up he arrives at the top he arrives there and he's like i don't know what to do now like i I can't get to the hands and mary poppins is like you know what fine i'll do it and so she just opens her umbrella floats up grabs the minute hand right before it hits midnight and then turns it back five minutes and we we're cutting and we're cutting to the office the bank office and there's wilkins kind of holding his watch and he's like all right and three two one and then no sound and he looks over and he's like what the hell? And of course, Big Ben hasn't rung yet because it's now five minutes behind. And so that gives uh, Jane and Michael an extra five minutes to get into the bank and present their shares, which uh, everyone successfully does. And then when Big Ben finally hits midnight, you see Admiral Boone like set off the thing and he's like, my God, Big Ben, like Ben finally got it right. Like it's, it's a little moment of like, oh, yay. Uh, it's a cute moment. And it's nice that they still kind of have Admiral Boone there. Uh, him just weird. He's just a very strange man, and I love it. Anyway, so they're there at the bank, 
and they're and they're speaking to the the person and they're like here we have all we have we have the shares now and so they're piecing together the share certificate and the caveat is that as long as they have every piece of the share certificate then it'll work then it'll be valid unfortunately they're missing a piece and wilkins is like well well I guess that's it. Like, oh, that's kind of it. And then Michael, it's then that Michael kind of realizes, like, wow, you've, you've actually been hoping for me to fail this entire time. My kids have been right the whole time because the kids have basically been telling him that, the, that he's the bad guy. He wants, to, he wants to repossess the home, but Michael has been ignoring it the whole time. You know, classic, classic thing. And so, yeah, it's there he realized, he's like, you know what? Fine. That's fine. Take the house. I'm not losing, like, Wilkin says, he, 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 Wilkin basically tells him, he's like, you have nothing. And then Michael's like, no, I don't. I have everything here. I have my whole family. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm great. And it's, it's a very touching moment. And then, in walks in Mr. Dawes Jr. himself. Because apparently this whole time he's been off, and uh, Wilkins has basically been telling everybody that he's off his rocker and is, like, about to die kind of thing. Basically spreading these rumors. And then Mr. Dawes shows up, and he's like, word has come to me by a little bird that you have been trying to trick Michael Banks out of his shares. And he's like, this man put his put his faith in this bank. And basically, he's basically trying to, like, talk up the bank, be like, look, we are a place where people trust us, and blah, blah, blah. And it's quite endearing, and I kind of wish that all bank people were like that, but uh, they're just not. But that's okay. Uh, it's very, it's a very endearing moment. It's a very nice moment. But basically, Mr. Dawes basically fires his nephew right on the spot and tells him, he's like, he's like, you know what? Don't worry about your loan. I will forgive your loan. The money you have here with the shares is enough to cover your loan and then some. And so basically tells him, he's like, you're, you're good. You're set. You're, you're good to go. And it's a wonderful moment. Everyone's happy. Uh, it's really, it's actually a very sweet moment. And then they cut to the next, uh, next scene is them walking back to the house. Uh, there's like a little uh, fair happening in the park. They go to the park. Everyone's happy. Uh, they do a little bit of a, of a sort of homage to fly a kite moment, but it's with uh, balloons. And basically Angela Lansbury is there who's selling balloons. And the idea is that every balloon... Uh, like everybody has a special balloon that's dead that's that's really theirs uh, and so Michael picks a balloon and then suddenly he starts floating up into the air because this is kind of like where a bunch of the magic's supposed to be or whatever and uh, yeah and he's like and then he's like I remember Jane I remember everything we did with Mary Poppins as a kid it all actually happened everything was real and I think it's a moment where we're supposed to kind of get the idea that Michael is remembering what it's like to be a child and remembering that you know to have the imagination is a good thing kind of thing. It's it's not necessarily like a reconciliation of his character. Michael doesn't really have much of a character arc in this film. I think that's the other thing kind of, that kind of bothers me about it is that, you know, he his whole motivation is kind of the same the entire way through, which is basically save the house. Um, and he's not and he's not a dick to his kids. He yeah, he has his random outbursts or everything, but they're understandable in that he's super stressed and all, and all he's really seeing is that his kids are just making things worse and so they're causing him more stress. So like, yeah. 
it's not that you don't dis you don't really dislike Michael because what he's going through is a very understandable and relatable thing. And so it's not like with George where it's not like with his father, George Banks in the first one where you were like, this guy's just a dick. Like he, ha he, he's, he's good. He has a, he has a good life. He's got a wonderful, he's got a wonderful family. He's just kind of an asshole because he's so obsessed with everything being not necessarily about him, but of his status with everything uh, that that's what's taking over everything else. You know what I mean? And so, like, there was definitely more of a character arc with George Banks than there is with Michael Banks. And I think that's the other thing that kind of annoyed me with this film. Um, and actually, this balloon thing kind of bugged me a little bit, too. Uh, so everybody gets their balloons. Everybody's floating in the sky. Everybody's happy. Everybody's excited. Except for Wilkins, who's he picks his balloon and it goes, boom, just kind of falls to the ground. It's very funny. Mary Poppins picks her balloon and it kind of turns and they missed a moment here. Fuck. They missed a moment. It turns and it shows her reflection. And I think it would have been amazing if they made the reflection, Julie Andrews instead of Emily Blunt. Cause the reflection is just her. It's just Emily Blunt. But I, th I, uh, they, what they should have done was they should have made the reflection Julie Andrews when she was Mary Poppins. That's what I think they should have done. And the thing that really kind of bugged me about this moment is that the magic is kind of there for everyone to see now. And I think for me, the thing that I really liked about the magic revolving around Mary Poppins is that it was only for select people. Does that make sense? Either people accepted it and it was part of, like they knew what it was and they accepted it. And so they kept that, that idea of magic in their heart. And so it was a lot easier for them to see it. Like in the moments, like in the original, when you have like Bert, for example, is a great example. He's somebody that it, it all makes sense to him because he has that mentality. He has that, you know, free spirit mentality. Uh, and even with, um, Uncle Albert, the guy who like laughs so much, he ends up floating into the ceiling. He has that same idea. He has that laughter in his heart, right? Uh, so the magic works for him as well. And of course for the kids too, because that's just children, right? But I think for this, the fact that everybody in the park is now experiencing this magic kind of, I don't know, it almost um, diminishes it a little bit, makes it a little less special. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's it. So, yeah, so I think this movie, I don't know. I think they tried too hard to sit on the concept of the magic and really put so much of the focus on Mary Poppins and not enough in real conflict. Because, like, there is still stakes. There is conflict in that, you know, he can lose it, you know, and that Michael loses the house and everything. You know, you have the evil banker and blah, blah, blah. But... I feel like there isn't really enough of true character development throughout the film that it doesn't feel like anything goes anywhere. There doesn't really feel like there are true results or consequences to the actions. The only real consequences you have or the results are that Wilkins just gets fired by Mr. Dawes and then everything just turns out okay for the Banks family. And I'm not mad that things turn out well for the Banks family. They're, they're a lovely family. They deserve you know, to you know, be okay and everything. But I just feel like 
there wasn't ever there were no like there were no hills in this film it was all just more or less one super long bump it was more like a if you look at a speed bump from the side it was like that as opposed to like you know not that if that makes sense i don't know i didn't hate the movie i don't love it like when i rewatched mary poppins that shit made me cry and i was like this movie is fucking great but this movie didn't give me that exact same response so i don't know i mean absolutely watch it i think it's super fun uh it's very very pretty like visually it's gorgeous i think um people people enjoyed it um i just think i just don't think it was it it succeeded in it in what it was supposed to do the same way the original did if that makes sense because like in the original the purpose of the film it, it's not about mary poppins doing anything with the kids because the kids are kids right it's all about mr banks and his story that's what the original is about the sequel isn't really about that it's not about michael really it's more about the kids kind of learning to be kids again but even then that's a very very loose thing that happens if that makes sense anyway all in all i would probably i would still give this movie like maybe seven out of ten i really enjoyed it six or seven out of ten i really enjoyed it i think it's great just as is but when you compare it to the original you're like nah like the original is the original is great but regardless it's fun i highly recommend it you should watch it it's great um yeah i not all of the songs hold up in that i don't think that you have as many bops in this as you do in the original like i just i just listened to the soundtrack of the original again and like every song in it is fucking great every single one they're all very well done but anyway uh some bits of trivia here about the film uh it was a 130 million dollar budget uh made 349 and a half million at the box office so it still worked like it's still it's still considered a success uh so that's good um apparently a sequel had been gestating in development hell since the first one was released since 1964 uh waltz attempted to produce a sequel a year later but was rejected by peel travers uh who as we know did not like the original <laughs> Um, in the late 80s, uh, chairman of the Walt Disney Studios, Jeffrey Katzenberg, uh, and the vice president of live-action production, Martin Kaplan, approached Travers again with the idea of a sequel set years after the first film with the Banks family, with the Banks children now as adults, and with Julie Andrews reprising her role. But of course, Travers rejected it, uh, except or re rejected the concept, except for Andrews' return, suggesting a sequel set one year after the original film with Andrews repri reprising the role. The idea obviously did not come to fruition, however, because Travers would not get it, would not go ahead without certain caveats that the company would not concede, including barring Poppins's clothing from being read. I don't know why that matters, but but regardless, uh, uh, Brian she, she in the 1980s she and Brian Sibley, a good friend whom she met in the 70s, wrote a screenplay for a sequel titled Mary Poppins Comes Back based on the parts of Travers' second Mary Poppins uh, 
book unused in the 1964 film. Sibley then wrote a letter to Roy E. Disney about making the film, to which Disney contracted them to supply a film treatment, uh, because, of course, uh, screenplay... uh, I guess just, like, screenplay is not enough to go into film, if that makes sense. Like, the the two don't translate one-to-one, I think, perhaps. I don't know. I'd, I'd need, like, an actual screenwriter to really tell me. Uh, according to Sibley, Travers wrote notes on his script ideas, and though she rejected some of them, she liked some of them, including replacing Bert with his brother, an ice cream man in a park in Edwardian London, who similarly served as Mary's friend and potential admirer. Four months later, however, casting issues emerged as Andrews temporarily retired from making films and was not interested in reprising her role as Mary Poppins. That must have been around the time uh, when... She was under because uh, uh, Julie Andrews had like uh, had like throat surgery, uh, and it really really hit her hard, and it really affected her singing. If I rem- if I recall, she didn't end up singing in anything uh, in like anything, especially not in film until, if I remember correctly, it was, um, Princess Bride two. Uh, but she killed it. She's great. She's perfect. <laughs> uh, apparently, they were considering Bird's brother to be. Uh, to be played by Michael Jackson, which I think is hilarious. But of course, this was, you know, uh, I think in the early 90s, I think it was. Uh, well, it had to have been because Roy was alive. Uh, the planned sequel was eventually canceled because of a combination of issues, the casting problems, and the fact that new executives took over the company. So basically, this thing has, has just been in production hell for decades. 2004 release of the 40th anniversary DVD of the original film contained a trivia track that stated in regards to a possible sequel, One Day the Wind May Change Again, quote, On the 14th of September 2015, Walt Disney Pictures president Sean Bailey pitched a new Mary Poppins film to Rob, to Rob Marshall, Don DeLuca, and Mark Platt as the team had produced Into the Woods for the studio the year prior. With approval from Traverse's estate, Disney greenlit the project, with the film taking place 25 years after the first, featuring a standalone narrative based on the remaining seven books in the series. Marshall was hired to write, while DeLuca and Platt would serve as producers along with Marshall. David Maggie was hired to write the script. So, there you go. That's kind of a little bit of the story of that. Um, uh, Yes, so the film was directed by Rob Marshall. Uh, Rob Marshall... uh, I don't know if any of you know, but he's the guy who uh, who directed the film version of Chicago. So he's definitely one to know what it's like to make musicals, film musicals, because, of course, Chicago was a complete success. Uh, one, one last thing that I must tell you all, because it was great, is that uh, Mr. Dawes Jr. was played by Dick Van Dyke, who did an amazing job, and apparently... Uh, because his character just kind of looks – the body language that he was doing while on set was very old, right? It was just kind of old and because he's, he's fucking old. But apparently um, Dick Van Dyke himself is apparently still very, very – he can still move because there's a part in – when they're singing, they're doing a reprise of, of um, uh, Triple Little Light Fantastic – and in the office and and he just gets up onto the onto the desk in the office and just starts dancing and apparently that was like really him like lin-manuel has like gone on record like in terms of 
uh, in interviews basically being like, yeah, he just got up and he started tap dancing like crazy. The guy can move even at his old age. And it's just wonderful to think about the fact that Dick Van Dyke is still an entertainer even now. Like in, in, in his soul, he's still an entertainer. And I just love that. That just makes me so happy to know. And so if you watch the movie, when you watch him dancing at the end of the film, uh, know that it was, in fact, him that is not a body double, that is not CGI, that is, in fact, Dick Van Dyke breaking it down and giving us a tap dance. And I fucking love it. It's great. So, yeah, that's Mary Poppins Returns. Again, it's a super fun film. Um, it doesn't stand up to the original, but I think that's okay. Uh, it does kind of go, <laughs> like, with the whole, like, turning Big Ben's clock back five minutes that's very like it's a little jumping the shark for me but at that point i'm like you know what whatever it's fine <laughs> anyway so yes i hope you all enjoyed it uh next week we're gonna be watching saving mr banks uh because we're gonna watch the we're gonna kind of i mean it's not really how it happened because of course it's based on a true story but it isn't exactly how it happened but uh, the story of uh, Walt and Peel Travers coming together and event and finally agreeing to make the original movie. And yeah. So until then, I hope you all have a wonderful week and I hope you all take care of yourselves. Remember, uh, take your meds, drink your water, wear your masks, uh, get vaccinated or boosted if you can and or boosted if you can. And yeah, I love you. Bye. <laughs>